Welcome back to Basic Brain Heart, the show where we celebrate and interrogate creatives of all stripes. I'm Hannah Camacho. I have a pretty clear rule that I follow when it comes to inviting people to be on the show. Now, it doesn't mean that they're going to say yes, but my rule is I have to be a pretty big fangirl of their work um, before I, I ask them to be on. And I'm super lucky if they say yes. And today's no exception. I feel like my level of fangirl was off the charts for this conversation with Meg LaFauve. Meg is a writer. You might know her from some of her recent work on The Good Dinosaur, Inside Out, um, also the upcoming Captain Marvel movie, and she's working on a lot of other really exciting projects. Uh, One thing I really appreciate about her communication style is it's so clear that you can't miss it. And I love that she really preaches um, to uh, set your beacon and pursue it. And the path to that beacon might not always be clear, um, but you have to set that goal before you can meet it. And then it's up to you to make it happen. And so I really, really appreciate that kick in the pants approach because it's always what I need to hear. Now, a really quick note about the audio for this episode. Skype was extremely troublesome and there was some fuzziness that translated to some portions of the episode. So I had to play with the levels a little bit. So at times it's going to sound like Meg is that voice in your head that you've always wanted and always dreamed of um, but rest assured usually it pops back to normal um, but there are just a few places where you're going to notice a bit of an audio difference but it's totally worth it all right i'm going to get out of the way so you can enjoy all the wonderful things meg had to share in this interview with the amazing meg lafove well meg i've really been looking forward to having you on the show so i sincerely appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today thanks for having me of course Now, before we jump into your backstory, which I've kind of been doing as much research as I can, and really everything that I've heard by you, I feel like it's a great shot in the arm, kick in the pants, kind of what I need to hear. And I love that you walk the walk uh, and and you talk the talk as well. But what are you up to today before we dive into your backstory? Um, I am writing a script for Netflix. It's an animated movie um, based on a children's book from the 40s called My Father's Dragon, and um, Cartoon Saloon, the Irish. Oh, I love them, yes. Secret of the Kells and Song of the Sea, and they just had Breadwinner. Um, they're going to do it, and Nora, Nora, who did Breadwinner, is going to be the director. Um, so we're Nora and I are working on that right now, and um, hope I get a trip of, to Ireland out of it Absolutely. to get to go and see them and do their work. I mean, I'm just such huge, huge colossal fan of cartoons fantastic yeah we've actually had tom and nora on the show i i adore them so much that's really exciting i did not know that yeah i mean it's this real treat to have such incredibly talented artists and they're such good um people and amazing storytellers i mean i just feel like i kind of won the lottery there but um so i'm doing that with nora and i'm also just um I'm researching to do a, a take out a limited series of my own um, for television. So that's what I'm doing. Exciting. I love it. Well, I'm really excited to hear your backstory because I've heard bits and pieces of it in various interviews, but I, I'm, I'm excited to hear more of a long form version of it. So let's go back all the way to the beginning. I just made you hear my backstory <laughs> 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 offline. Um But I'd love to hear a little bit about sort of what your life looked like, where you grew up, maybe anything about, your early life that comes to mind in terms of uh, when you started to realize you were passionate about storytelling, et cetera. Um, I grew up 
my childhood was in Ohio in a little town called Warren, which is about an hour or so south of Cleveland, right on the Pennsylvania border. Um, there was a, there's a General Motors, I think it's still there, factory there that my father um, worked at. And um, my father was an engineer and my mother was an artist. She was a painter. And they had been stationed in Japan, so they built a Japanese house in the woods in, of Ohio. So I I grew up in Ohio, but in a Japanese house with shoji doors and in the woods. Um, so I, from a very early age, I was writing stories. I think the first one I wrote, the letters were probably, you know, an inch and a half high because I'm writing such a little kid writing story. Um, looking back, I actually still have that story. And it's about a, a girl who gets on an airplane, sits in the seat, falls in a hole and disappears. <laughs> and looking back, I'm like, you know... Somebody might have wanted to take me to a therapist, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, back then that, you know, that was just a goofy story that a kid told, um, <laughs> that I was the fourth of five kids. So it was a big family. Um, but I've been writing since I could remember, um, and an avid reader. I mean, now I watch my sons play video games and base play baseball. And that's how I was a reader. It was like my, I would read so much and I still do. Um, so I was always loving stories and, a, and being a storyteller. Um, and my grandfather used to say that, you know, he didn't know where I came from because my heart was so big, meaning I was just so compassionate. I would just always put myself in the place of other people. But I think that's looking back, I'm realizing that's still the storyteller, right? I'm always projecting myself into the character of the other person. So, um, so that's, I was, it was always drawn to it. Um, and, uh, when I went to college at Syracuse university and, um, was a screen, a screenwriting major, which back then it was such early days that I, I think we were some of the first screenwriting majors, um, there, but, um, there, I think there were five of us or something. Um, so, uh, I mean, maybe not that few, but very few, um, but then, of course, I graduated and promptly decided I had nothing to write about. <laughs> I was completely untalented, and I was not going to be a writer. <laughs> I love um, it. Because isn't that what you do? It's true. Um, so I kind of I look at my life now, and I can see myself uh, toggling back and forth between my father that was in me, that kind of engineer brain, mm -hmm. and the, and my mother who was an artist. Um, so after I graduated, I immediately toggled over to the uh, engineer brain and I became an executive in advertising, but not, you know, not, not on the creative side, but on the, on the, on the executive side. Um, and I worked in New York city for a while, um, doing that. Um, but really felt myself, um, internally not happy doing that job, even though externally I was doing very well. Um, and kind of have that crucial moment where you are interviewing to get a, you know, a bigger job in that industry and realizing inside something was screaming, don't give me this job. Um, so I kind of decided that even though I was already, I think 27 or 26, that I was going to radically change my life. And my good friend, Chris Andrews, who I'd met at Syracuse asked me to, um, would call me every once in a while and say, come out to Hollywood, come out to Hollywood. So I kind of took him up on his offer and I ended up going out to LA. Um, my, I think my father was, um, shocked. Like, what are you doing? You're on the, as you know, you've got this great job in New York city and you've got all this success and what are you doing? You're going to toss it all and go to LA and start over. 
Um, but I did and, uh, kind of jumped off that cliff and then I, but I still wasn't quite ready and brave enough to be a writer yet. So I kind of moved over to be, I thought I'd be an executive, but in, but, but I'll do it in movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's a step in the right direction, right? <laughs> Makes logical sense. <laughs> but it's me, my brain kind of stepping closer and closer to the, you know, the real cliff I have to jump off, which is to be a great storyteller myself. Um, and, you know, I, looking back, everything is, serves a purpose. Everything can give you a gift. You know, all those years of being an executive was some of, you know, just some of the best years here because I learned so much and um, not just about storytelling, but about the business. So I, I went, first went to a, an agency um, and worked there because I decided that would be my graduate school. I would go and work in an, an agency is kind of the center of the cyclone and you really learn the business there and you make tons of contacts. So I worked there as an assistant for a, a wonderful agent named Martha Luttrell, um, and she was a rare breed. She represented both lit and talent, so I got to learn both sides of the of that coin. Um, but again, I just, you know I wasn't there because I wanted to be an agent. I just I wanted to learn the business, so um, I did that, and then I landed a great job working with Jodie Foster at her new production company called Egg Pictures. And I started out as a story editor and, you know, over 10 years I was with her and eventually ended up running the company um, when we, when she had a deal at Paramount. And, you know, that, that was really where I learned um, storytelling for film. I learned it from Jodie. She's one of the most brilliant storytellers and, uh, and, and just people. Um, so it was really just an, and I, and I also learned it from all of the amazing writers and directors that I worked with as an executive, um, that, you know, and I also started teaching at UCLA and I learned a lot doing that because when you every once a week for three hours teach something and hear, you know, read scripts, you and have to fix them. You really start to, wow, I'm, I'm asking the same 10 questions over and over. Yes. <laughs> now in hindsight, sorry, I'm totally cutting you off, but do you, do you wish that you would have pursued the pure storytelling sooner or are you really glad that you ended up spending all that time sort of just soaking up so much knowledge? You know, I don't think it has to be one or the other in that if I had started earlier, I, all I can say is I'd be a different storyteller probably meaning because everything I learned about storytelling so much of it is coming from what I did and who I worked with um so if I had I think I it would just be different um I would just be different um and yet there are days that I think wow I should have done this earlier but you know you can't you have to you trust that the universe the universe has had a plan for me um so, uh, but then after 10 years, I started to get that voice again saying, it's time to go, it's time to go. And I was just realizing that, um, you know, I was going to be 40 and I realized if I, I really need to jump off this cliff, if I'm going to be a writer, I got to be a writer. Um, and if I get one more new executive job, I don't think I'll ever do it. You know, it just got to that point. Um, so I, I did the craziest thing. Again, people thought I was nuts. I had the best job in the world. I was working for, I was working for Jodie Foster. I mean, no better job. Um, but I did it. I, 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 
uh, we went out for lunch, got a hot dog at the commissary. And I told her I was, you know, I, I wasn't going to renew the deal because I, for myself, because I wanted to, to write. And, you know, the greatest thing is, is she was so happy for me and so supportive and immediately sent me a bunch of books and <laughs> she was, it was really great. She was so awesome about it. Um, and so then I did, you know, but when you do jump off those cliffs, it's not like the movies, you know, in the movies, that's the climax of the movie. Right. And then you, and then you become a writer and everything's <laughs> great. It's <laughs> not what I would work. Nope. That way at all. Uh, the way it works is, and then you go home and you're alone in your house and you're supposed to be a writer now. And now you have to write really bad stuff. Like, piles and piles and piles of stuff that really it's not that it doesn't work it's bad like it's not good um because that's the process the process is you write badly first that is the process. so um I spent years writing really bad stuff and even though I could develop at an NBA level uh, you know the part that writes is a totally different part of your brain and as a writer I was still at JD level so um, and that's really hard because it, my development brain would shut down my writer brain. It would constantly judging it and judging it and judging it. And the judgment is like poison to creativity. So, um, you know, there's a difference between criticism and judgment. And you have to know when you're in which, you know, which are you in? Because one is going to kill it and one is going to help it thrive. So um, I what I did to get out of that judgment is I just I, I, a good uh person had told me once when you have a dry riverbed you just got to get any drops of water in it to get the water flowing so I went and I took a playwriting class and I took a short story class and I wrote a really bad novel and you know I just started to write but in forms that my judgment couldn't really crack because I didn't know anything about playwriting or short stories or and that really got the water flowing so to speak so that then I could go write my first really bad script um, and I wrote many drafts of that really bad script and my good, and I started to gather the friends around me who, um, would be my support team, honestly, for the next, you know, many years of my life in terms of the people who would read those really bad scripts. And I was starting to figure out who of those people were the really good ones to give an early draft to, because they were the people who could, would just say, Oh, just keep going. And I really liked this. It's <laughs> <laughs> what you need at the beginning. The cheerleader. Yeah the cheerleader and the people who were better for later drafts who were mm -hmm. much more critical um and you need those 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 readers too but you have to know when to get to go to them <laughs> if you go to them too early you're in trouble there's your engineer again figuring out the process yeah, I, I love it. it i am i my engineer brain now just applies to storytelling and i engineer stories so to speak. i love it so I, you know, and I, I wrote, wrote I, years and years of really bad stuff and I had a baby and I had two babies cause that's the best excuse not to write. Um, <laughs> exactly. A baby, you have to feed a baby. It's I true. can't write. I have a baby. Um, well first I got a dog cause that's the first good excuse and then you that's have right. a baby. Um, but I did, I kept writing and then eventually I was writing with a friend of mine, John Morgan, um, and our script went to the Sundance lab and I really thought, okay, great. I'm, I'm a writer now. Um, but it's just the next level, you know, it's the next yes. step. Um, and then he really was a director and wanted to direct. And, you know, I realized I'm not going to make a living writing independent film. That's just not yeah. no money. So I started to write more broad stuff and ended up, um, 
getting a job at Warner Brothers and just it suddenly, you know, it's, it, it began. And, you know, the funny thing for me is I knew because I'd been working in this business for more than 10 years. I knew all the people that I had worked with at ICM and had worked with as a young executive had risen through the ranks. And, you know, there were some large executives and people around town to give my stuff to. But the fact when you're a young writer, you still have to go in at the bottom. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Um, I mean, it's great, but you know, it's great when you eventually get in that meeting, but it's still, it, it's somehow part of the process that you have to figure out how you're going to hang in, in the face of writing really badly, trying to get contacts so that people will read it, all the things that everybody has to do. That is part of the process. I love hearing your story. And one thing that as I've sort of been uh, doing a little bit of research into your story um, from other interviews that I love that I hear you say over and over again is find your beacon. And before we kind of dive into a few more (laughs) philosophical questions, I'd love to hear how that theme, is that something that you kind of just developed on your own or is that something that someone kind of came alongside you and really helped you to see? I'd love to hear a little bit more about how that sort of mantra developed for you? You know, it's just something that developed naturally um, for me. Um, I, John and I, when John and I um, were a writing team, um, the script we had written at Sundance, um, we were invited up to Pixar to interview, and part of that interview was um, getting a tour of the building, and we walked into the room where Pixar has their brain trust, um, and they described to me what a brain trust was and that John Lasseter and Andrew Stanton and Pete Doctor and Brad Bird and Lee Unkrich and um, all these amazing, you know, and to me, you know, it's really amazing storytellers um, would sit around a room and, and, critic, and critique and take apart and rebuild and give notes to um, the teams, and I just couldn't think of anything more frightening or exciting at the same time to have those, that level of storytellers look at my work. Um, so I just decided in that moment I had to be back in that room and I had to sit at that table. I can't explain it. It just became this goal, and I had a, a visual for it, and it was very specific, and it was something that both scared and excited me meaning it on my path, but it was going to push me to challenge me to an edge of what I thought I could do. Um, so I think a beacon needs to have both of those elements. It needs to be specific. It needs to be something that truly deeply in your body excites you. Um, and, but it's going to challenge you and it's going to be about, you know, really raising your creative or craft or, or something that's really going to be about, you know, also giving back to the world. You know, I don't think a beacon can be, you know, a Maserati. But, um, so I, you know, and because it was a beacon, because it was so hard to even get the tour, let alone be <laughs> at the table, that uh, it just seemed impossible. Like, how was I ever going to get there? Um, and it wasn't a straight line to it either. It was kind of a zigzag. And sometimes I felt like I was going backwards. But now in hindsight, looking back, I can see that I was gathering skills and tools that I was going to need when I sat down at that table. Sweet. No, that, that's so, so brilliant. And I, and I find that really encouraging myself. So thank you for sharing. Because I think that's something that's easy to forget is that every piece of our journey can inform the present. And um, that no regrets approach, I think, is really, really uh, important. 
Um, so let's, I'd love to move on to the mechanics of storytelling since you've got such a strong sort of engineering and executive mind. And I think that really <laughs> informs uh, your approach. Um, so the first question I have is when you're writing, I know you've kind of been in a number of different circumstances when you are brought on board for a project. Do you prefer to start with a bit of a blank canvas? You have all the control, all the creative control, or do you like to start with a rough concept and, and why? Um, either is fine. And sometimes it depends on my mood, but, um, you know, right now I'd love to adapt a book that just seems like, uh, yeah, give me, give me some paint to use. Give me, you know, the, some, uh, that sounds really fun to me. Um, I, so I think I tend to like to have a little something first when it's my, I of course do start with a canvas when it's my own idea, but even then it's not really blank. It's a character that's been bugging me and haunting me and won't let me go or, it's a situation that I've either witnessed or have heard about, or it's something that I've read in terms of maybe a historical event. Um, so usually there is some seed of something that is is knocking on the door. Um, and I usually let those pots boil for a while. I'll start open a document and start writing down freeform and see if I want to come back to it or I don't want to come back to it. Um, sometimes my producer brain gets involved there, which is, could be a problem, which is I tell myself, there's no place to sell this idea, but, um, I try not to do that. I try to let it just be what it is. Um, so I can, I, I my engineer brain can do either though. I do generally like to have something to start with. Hmm. That's, that's really interesting. I've often wondered that cause I personally, I'm not much of a writer myself. So I've always wondered it probably just depends on the person, how they like to approach that storytelling process. Um, one thing that you mentioned in another interview that I found really interesting, and I was kind of hoping that the individual would get you to, to elaborate on it, and they didn't give you a chance to. So I'm going to ask. Um, <laughs> you have mentioned uh, that shadowing artists can be dangerous, and I'd love to hear you elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, well, it's kind of, and I believe this term is actually taken from the artist's way. Mm-hmm. Um uh, it's called a shadow artist and you actually become one, um, um, where you are trying to be an artist, create something through someone else. So you are trying to express yourself creatively and do all of the creative impulse that's, you know, the universe is giving you because you have been chosen. Um, but you're not brave enough to do it directly um, and to stand in the, in the harsh light, um, because it is scary and you can fail and you can feel like you've got your pants pulled down. I mean, that is part of the, the, the daring and bravery of, um, being an artist. Um, and a lot of people don't want to take, um, try to have, do it through someone else. So for example, as an executive, I realized that too often, I was trying to write through the writers by giving them notes, by um, trying to shape it through them. Now, certainly a a development person's job is to give notes. I'm not suggesting that they don't, but there's just this line you can cross. Um, And it's not healthy for me because I'm not directly doing what I should be doing. I'm not learning what you learn by standing in that light. I'm not, it's just not, that's just not going to work. Um, my stories won't be fruitful that way. Um, and it's not really healthy for the person who you're trying to write through because it can be a very confusing 
position for them to be in because they ultimately can only write their own creative um, impulse. So um, it's just, it's a, it's a very tricky uh, thing. And sometimes when I'm a writer, I can start to get vibes that maybe this person's um, even unconsciously trying to write through me. Um, It hasn't happened much, but every once in a while, there's been a couple of times that I was like, wait a minute. Um, uh, Again, I don't think it's like conscious or almost like an unconscious thing that starts to happen. And when you do become conscious of it, that's when you have to make the big choice to get brave and, and do it. Yeah. At what point in your personal writing journey, as you were saying, you were kind of getting all the bad content out first before you were really honing your craft. (laughs) At what point in that journey did you finally start to get really vulnerable within the stories that you were telling and you kind of felt that shift? Was it immediately as soon as you started writing? Did it take some time for that piece to set in? And was it really scary? I mean, every day is scary. True. (laughs) It's still scary. It's still terrifying. (laughs) You're, you know, being a writer or any kind of artist, you should always be on that edge of of fear because you're, that means you're pushing. I, you know, it's such a, it's just, it's, you know, I look back on that time and now I have some perspective, but when you're in it, you have no perspective. Um, And of course that voice inside of you is beating you up that this is all you can do, which if if you think about it logically, that's ridiculous. You're learning a craft. I gave you a glob of molten glass and said, you know, spin me a glass. You'd be like, what are you talking about? Um, Meaning every, every art has a craft uh, of skills that you just have to learn that the only way you can learn them, you can't learn them by going to classes and you cannot learn them ultimately by listening. You can only learn them by doing. And I think that people don't really truly deeply understand that. The only way your brain will shift and deeply change is doing it. And you have to do it in order to get the new perspective. So I had to, you have to write stuff that doesn't work in order to see the skills that you don't have, in order to see the perspective, in order to shift and change. It's just like in a script. In a script, if all of your act two is the main character talking and not doing, we will not believe the shift. We just absolutely, intuitively as creatures, will not believe that that person has changed. And in climactic action, it really has to be an action, not a conversation, because we, we trust what people do. <laughs> and you know, that, we, we know that's how, the, that's how brains shift by actually doing, right? So when I look back, the perspective, I, you know, I really... Um, I, I understood intellectually what a good character was, but I didn't understand how to write one. I didn't understand what that meant. And even now, I couldn't, there's some things I can't explain in words. It's just, it's just something that you start to understand and know how to do on the page. Uh, there are things that I can now intellectualize and help other people um, with, with their characters or, or, or other things. But generally, you just, I just had to do it over and over and get a lot of notes. I mean, you cannot, can't be afraid to get notes. I mean, sometimes I help young writers and I, and I see a couple of, of trends. Uh, one, there's two ways to avoid as a, as a young writer. And by young, I don't mean age. I mean that you're, you're just kind of getting up and go. Um, one is you never sit down and write <laughs> or you never finish anything. Like you never, so there's people who just don't do it. Um, and by do it, I mean every day, churn out a lot of bad pages. And there's people who start a project 
and when it starts to get hard, they jump to the next one and start up. So they do a lot of quote unquote writing, but they're never really finishing anything. They're never really doing draft of draft after draft of the same script to try to make it work. They're jumping to the next script. And there's value in that because at least you're sitting in writing, but at some point you're going to have to do the hard job of rewriting because every script needs to be rewritten multiple, multiple, multiple times to really figure out what it is and, and, and what you have and how to best tell that story. Um, so young writers tend to not just sit down and do all of that work because listen, like I said, it stinks. <laughs> Everybody writes badly to start because you don't know what the story is yet. So it it is a, it, it 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 comes out in fits and starts. So um, you know, very rarely you can sit down and just something pours out. But even then, chances are you've been thinking about it for a long time and in doing different things. But yeah, so I I feel like it's yeah, it, you just have to you just have to bear down and do it. And the, you know, the 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 young writers I work with who truly do do it, they really do allow themselves to write a lot of bad stuff and get notes, right? And, and get the feedback because all notes are, are people telling you what they don't understand. That's what's happening. And you have to know that, right? You've got to get outside of your own head and hear what other people aren't getting. They're just not getting it yet. And that's fine. There's nothing good or bad about that. They just don't get it. So figure out why they don't get it and really face the fact, do you get it? Do you understand what you're trying to do? Because maybe you don't, or maybe there's something more deep and rich sitting in there that even you don't see. So um, you've got to be able to take the notes and revise and just do all of that labor. Um, should be fun. I mean, you know, listen, getting notes is never completely fun, but um, I always think it's like getting notes that reptilian ancient part of your brain thinks they're trying to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to put it. I love it. I'd love to circle back a little bit to uh, something that I know you've alluded to here and there throughout the conversation, but can you maybe review for me some of those rookie mistakes that you see inexperienced writers making? It sounds like you had a list that you were building um, in your uh, when you were teaching your uh, master's classes, but I'd love to hear you kind of revisit what common mistakes young writers make. Um, let me see if I can remember them. <laughs> you know, I had like a whole list. I think my, my 10 turned into 20, but, um, uh, and they're not mistakes um, as much as they are tenants or crafts that maybe they're just, I think of them as questions that you need to ask yourself. And um, the truth is, anytime I, you can go back, any writer at any level can go back to the basic tenants and be like, right, I'm not doing that. Um, it's, just such a, it's such a complex process in a way but you know I mean sometimes I would just have to start out with just the really big you know elements of the story concept for film like um, are you doing a genre right is, is this a genre movie um, because if it is do you know the tenets of that genre because I promise you the people who make them do I'm not saying you have to follow and there's rules that you have to follow those, all those tenets but you at least have to know when you're not <laughs> You know, what is the tone? Sometimes I just couldn't, I couldn't figure out by page 10. I still wasn't clear on what, is this a comedy? Is this a dramedy? Is, you know, so sometimes I would just ask my students to refer to another movie in tone, not, not plot, tone, right? So, a, 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 you know, a, a Coen Brothers comedy is going to be very different than an Adam Sandler comedy will be different 
you know, so it's like, what, where, where are we? What tone are we in? How scared should I be? Is this a, a horror comedy? Is this a, you know, I just, just trying to understand where we are. Um, and then really understanding who's your main character and what's the main relationship of the movie. Often just asking yourself, what is the deep core main relationship of the movie? There's many, many different relationships in a movie that have to be rich and interesting and compelling and affect the plot, but really what's the core main relationship that's helping transform the character? Do you have a transformative character or do you have a character who is claiming, um, you know, uh, you know, and so just use like Inside Out as an example, really the core relationship of the movie is with sadness, right? Then, and we used to have a lot of discussions, well, shouldn't the main relationship be with Riley? Well, it can't be because Riley doesn't know Joy exists and Riley is the prize, right? She's what we're fighting to save, right? It's an incredibly important relationship that has to be emotional. We have to care. We have to want to save it. We have to be deeply invested in that relationship. But the main relationship that's going to structure the movie is sadness, right? So it's kind of understanding that. And I'd say the other really important thing is, is your character active? Is your character actively creating the movie by their choices? Um, Often, especially with female characters um, in the past, I think this is changing. If you really looked at it, the men or other supporting characters around her were the ones actually making the choices and she was reacting to it. And that is not a driving character. That's not a character. And I, and I promise you, actors don't want to play that part. Um, it's really, and the way to get an active character is to have a character who wants something which sounds so easy, but I just cannot tell you how many times that the want is not something that has been really clearly thought about and invested in terms of in act one, making me want what that character wants. Um, and I, I have found with female characters, with female writers, sorry, um, uh, and it's not just female writers, but a preponderance of female writers who are young, I don't know if it's because women have not been enculturated to want. You know, we're enculturated to help figure out what other people want, but we are, what do you want that isn't necessarily about helping people? What do you want? So it's very hard to write a driving, wanting character if you don't actually know what you want. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's just, that's just that kind of stuff. That makes perfect sense. I love that. And do you think, um, are you seeing a lot more uh, women sort of um, get the courage to pursue a writing career? Or is it that they've always been around? It's just that their voices aren't necessarily being heard and their stories aren't being produced. What is your uh, opinion on f female no. writers in the industry? Yeah, both. And I'm just a tiny, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't have a, a, a big macro view of it. Um, sure. But just in my experience. I think it's both. I think there's always been female writers and artists here. They just needed a chance and a pipeline. Um, and I think that women too often feel like they don't deserve it. They don't, they just, it's a very strange thing. You know, they don't, or, and I, I don't think this is just women, but sometimes uh, women have this problem of perfectionism. Um, and I'm talking about writers now specifically, you know, they kind of can't get out of their own way because it has to be perfect. Um, and like I said, it's so far from perfect. <laughs> this process that, you know, you just, you just, that cannot be the goal, right? Because you're going to be able to get through the many, many drafts. Um, 
that you have to get through. It's interesting, and I don't know if this is a male-female thing, um, but it could be. Um, you know, my son plays baseball, and sports teaches people to fail. You know, it teaches them. My son has to get up and get to bat and strike out, and potentially in that moment lose the game for everybody, um, or lose that inning, and then get up to bat again and get just get out of his own head get out of that thinking, get out of perfection, get out of thinking too far ahead and just be in the moment right now, swing the bat, do your job, bat to ball, do it. And that's so much what writing and any art is too, right? Like you can't at some point get so caught up in winning the game or doing, doing it perfect or, or you just have to put the bat on the ball, man. You just have to sit down and do it and be in the moment because otherwise you you know, and you are going to fail. You are going to fail. You're going to write things that stink. You're going to write things that fail. That's part of the mulch that goes down to, you know, nourish the next project. It, it's part of it. So you have to learn how to, um, you know, learn from it, move past it, uh, whatever it is you need to do. Um, you know, you know I, I can't say you have to want to fail because I think that's possible. <laughs> You expect to fail. Absolutely. It is, it, it is going to happen. And especially as a writer, you're going to hand your work over to other people. It's going to out, be out of your control at some point. Um, and even if it's in your control, you're not always going to make the right choices or have the, the perspective you need. So, um, and you know, it's interesting because what is failure? You know, um, you know, what is, if your story touches one person and deeply touches them, then you're, then it's great. You know, it doesn't it have to be, you know, millions of people. It might just be one. Like what? And you don't know. Like, I mean, there's millions of examples of, but now are classics, right? You know, life is long. You don't know why you had to write that story. You don't know where it's going to go, what it's going to seed. Um, even if in that momentary failure of the draft not working, or um, it didn't sell, or it did sell, and it didn't get the box office or whatever the long chain of things could be of vulnerability. You don't know, you know, you just don't know. And you know, the thing I like to tell young artists is if you're going to do this, you have to find some way to be comfortable with vulnerability. And if you can't be comfortable with it, you at least have to know it's, it's part of the process and something you're going to have to, because that's being an artist is the very act of being vulnerable, right? That's what you're doing for, that's what you're doing for other people. That's beautiful. Sage advice. I agree. Yeah. Um, uh, which, I, which I need to take today. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> Gotta love that. Uh, speaking of uh, being a parent, you were alluding to sort of watching your son learn how to fail in sports and um, getting used to, you know, failure is a means to an end. It's a means to success. How has being a parent change the way that you approach both your career and maybe even writing itself? Have you noticed a, a big shift oh, yeah. in yourself? It's a big shift. I mean, yeah. as soon as you have a baby, your whole, for me, my whole um, paradigm or, or scale of what I would put my time into shifts, right? Because, you know, is this project worth the time taken away from my child and it, is this person worth the time taken away from my child if not then I'm not doing it so you get very very clear on what you want to do and what you don't want to do um, and 
certainly having a child affects my writing because, gosh, gosh, having a kid is like a Zen Buddhist experience. So it is a constant, constant, you know, uh, exercise in being present and figuring out what you believe and who you are and how does life work. And, you know, it's just, it is so all of that. It, it is such a, and it is such an active vulnerability to be a parent. Um, so that you, that all that vulnerability and insights and goes into your work. Um, you know, definitely, um, my kids are in my movies now. I can see them and things I've learned and aspects of their personalities come out. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's a great thing for, um, you know, and yes, people ask me sometimes, how do you, how do you be a writer and and uh, have kids at the same time. And it's like, yes, time-wise, it's hard. I'm not going to say it's not hard. But it just, it only deepens your work. It only deepens your work. I love that. Meg, our time has already come to a close today. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Um, And I'm going to link to your Twitter in the show notes so those who want to follow you can. Um, But again, thank you so much for stopping by. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. (laughs) 